since then COVID happened every day, I repeat to myself, I need to be grateful for what I have today because what I have today is what I wanted yesterday. So yeah, for me COVID has been a, a blessing because I'm always, probably I'm naive, I'm too positive, but I like to be positive and see just the best part, you know, money comes and goes. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. As we've discussed on the series, Australia's incredible food culture is a direct result of migration patterns. Those willing to leave it all behind on a promise of sunshine and prosperity. With the pandemic taking such a toll on so many, what impact has that taken on those that came to Australia to enrich our culinary landscape and find a new home? Matteo Margiotta is the owner of Pino's Vino e Cucina in Alexandria, Sydney. Mate, how are you going? Really good, Anthony. How are you? I'm good. It's been a while since I've seen you. You used to be uh, just around the corner from our house and it was a place we used to drop into all the time. It was a welcome little hidden gem in Sydney. How's the restaurant been? It's been uh, it's been there for four years now. What's Yeah, 20, 21st of December will be four years. Um, it's been really good. It's been really good, except this year, as usual, uh, as everybody. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, I can't really complain. My neighborhood support us so much, so I'm really grateful for that. Well, it is a real hidden gem, and you, you were a bit of a hidden gem. You actually celebrated 10 years of life in Australia this week. Um, what does that feel like? Uh, look, it was an emotional day for me, uh, really emotional. And it just brought me back, like when I left Italy, um, you know, being Italian, old school, I grew up with my parents, they're really old school, especially my dad from Napoli, Pino. Um, you know, I got married at 24 and unfortunately uh, I decided it wasn't my life at 26, just uh, close to 26. And I just want to get my life back together and go as far as I could. So I, I pick Australia and uh, I definitely, you know, can't regret this choice. I left Italy with nothing in my hand and I was like a really broken man. Um, I wanted to do something better with my life. I want to reestablish my family and uh, build something to make people happy. And, you know, it's been a journey. And after 10 years, look behind and say like, I did it and I'm happy. Why did you choose Australia? Oh, well, I just want to, I just want to be as far as I could. You know, I don't want, yeah, I didn't want people like reach me so easily. And the people then really wanted to see me and stay with me. Uh, you know, there's a 16,000 case uh, between us. So they really wanted to see me. So that's good. So just my family and my good, really good friend, which is up to, came over in, in, from Australia. When you arrived here, was it what you expected? Um, yes and no. Uh, I've never been in Australia before, so I arrived in Australia. Uh, I couldn't speak a word of English, which is, was challenging. And, you know, you always picture Australia like a crocodile dandy, you know, wild and everything. And then all of a sudden, you know, arriving in Sydney, Sydney was another metropolis, you know, like I'm from Rome. Rome obviously has a lot of history, but you know, I've been traveling around the world. It's there's not much different between you know 
New York or other big city. But I had a pleasure then, you know, I went to Cape Tribulation, Port Douglas, and then I said, okay, this is Australia. But I love Sydney. What did you do when you first got here? I know you've had your restaurant for four years or almost four years now, but there was um, that period of time um, after you got here. Did you jump straight into the hospitality sector? Um, look, I ran in Australia uh, literally with $3,000 of in my account and uh, I arrived in Melly. I didn't want to go on Bondi because there were lots of Italians and back then I just want to stay away especially because I, I needed I needed it to uh, you know learn learn English so the best way just like throw yourself in the thick of it uh, I was on a sponsor visa uh, on a sponsor visa beg about it, on a working on a visa so I was on a time restraint uh, I did not want to go back in Italy whatsoever um, so I knew then uh, I wanted to, I needed to find a sponsorship so the first two weeks I just party <laughs> just to cheer me up for what was happening back in Italy and uh, the third week I sent some resume which is lots of people you know uh, replied to that and uh, I didn't want to travel that much because I wanted to learn surf as well and uh, Garfish in Melly just hired me. And I remember the first time that I had an interview with the chef. I said, look, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste your time. I'm looking for a sponsorship. <laughs> and uh, they were like, whoa, 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 go easy. We haven't seen you even uh, using a knife. You're just demanding a sponsorship. So yeah, fair enough. And after a month, they offered me a sponsorship, which is uh, that's history. Yeah, that, and I was really happy. But look, it was really hard. It was really, it was like a really different time. You know, the hospitality industry changed so much in 10 years. As you move forward, um, you left that restaurant. And can you tell us what you did before um, opening your your own restaurant? Look, after after Garfish, I went to work uh, straight away at Cottage Point Inn, which is, was a lovely place. Um, I was a sous chef there with Guillaume. And, uh, you know, we were doing just lunch service and two nights a week. But even there, even the salary was like really good for me because from 50000 I jumped to $70,000. But I was finding myself to do 90 hours a week. And after almost a year, I said, okay, that's it. I can't, I can't carry on like this. Back in the day, I had a girlfriend that used to work for Black Star Pastry. And she told me then, Chris was looking for somebody baking with a wood fire oven, some bread. And I had lots of experience with wood fire oven, not about bread whatsoever. And, uh, but I like challenging and I say, yeah, all right, let's do it. So that, at that time I was living in Melly and his shop is, uh, was in Rosebury. And uh, I was driving my motorbike, my Ducati every morning at 2 a.m. in the morning to go there at 3 o'clock. But for me, it was the best life because, you know, there wasn't a pressure of performance of a, a fine dining restaurant. Um, I used to go and start at 3 a.m. in the morning, put some Pink Floyd on, make my coffee, light the fire, and by 10 a.m., my day was over. And that's it. And that was perfect. And then Christopher asked me basically to manage a shop, a Rosebery shop for him, 
because he said and uh, yeah, I was wasted just to do like a baker uh, I was like I wasn't really keen because uh, like I said I changed job just because I didn't want to have any responsibility whatsoever but after that you know my dad always say to me that uh, I was meant to work for nobody and just to work for myself so I said okay I can learn so much you know from the other side of the kitchen and, uh, and managing people and everything so I start uh, to manage Rosberry which is went really well then uh, Chris asked me to open a pop-up on a powerhouse museum and then from there he asked me to design and open a concept in Kinokunia Bookso, which is a did. Uh, after my, let's say, third shop, I decided, okay, let's open a restaurant. And I was looking for sites. And um, again, background and fine dining, lots of, uh, you know, uh, writers and critics and uh, being on Black Sabbath as well really busy people coming over over there i just wanted to find a spot really quiet where somebody uh could come to the restaurant just because somebody told about the restaurant so i didn't want to do any media or any marketing and coming from rome i wanted to find a venue then uh, could took me back in italy you know back in rome in rome you're walking across uh, you know some Holloway and you stumble across a restaurant and say, oh my God, I didn't know that was a restaurant here. And that's why I chose 199 Lawrence Street in Alexandria. Um, no restaurant around me, not for the competition, it just because I wanted to make sure that I was a neighborhood restaurant, looking after my customer, look, looking after my friend, because all my neighbors are friends, you know, um, offering like specials every week and changing the menu every season make my neighbors come over two or three times a week as well so we build a fantastic relationship and i'm i'm really proud of them well it really is it well was a hidden gem until the media found out about it <laughs> and uh like myself and lots of people know about it now tell us a bit about the restaurant it's 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 a really interesting space it it almost feels like a a tavern or a bistro mm. um yeah and and the food there is is really pushing the envelope of Italian cuisine in a, in a modern sort of way. Tell us what we, what you're doing there. Well, when I found the restaurant, uh, the restaurant wasn't looking like it looks now. Uh, obviously, I was you know super excited. My adrenaline was uh, really high, and I said, "Okay, let's get it." And uh, obviously, I didn't like the look of it, so I start to renovated and there was like a Russian doll, you know, a floor on top of the floor, on top of another floor and the structural floor, the sudden was uh, rotten. And then council came over and say, you can't open a restaurant if you don't pull soundproofing. So I had invested so many money on soundproofing window, uh, ceiling, walls. Uh, so all of a sudden my budget, if it was 10, it ended up to be like a thousand. And <laughs> And all of a sudden, I took a cost. So took a cost, I basically built this, this site by myself, demolishing it by myself. And uh, a few bits and pieces, like all the bar has been, you know, built by professional, obviously. But yeah, and then saving on timber and uh, designer, we did not use any designer whatsoever. You know, I remember just to sketch the banquets, I've been probably sitting, tried 
20 or 30 different buckets and sketch them to make it comfortable and see, no, this doesn't work for this or this doesn't work for that. So at the end of the day, I come up with my sketch. And um, and then, you know, you, there's many companies, big companies in Sydney, especially then building amazing restaurants. For designing point of view, they're fantastic, but uh, they too perfect too perfect then you can't they don't have a soul they don't have a that be cold i did not want uh, that from pinos and um so that's why i decided to reclaim timber so back then they were demolishing houses for west connects and i went there and savage uh, oregon oregon and to build the entire place and I even came across to a, a church, a hundred years old church, which is with savage all the floor, and which is the floor now in Pinos is from a 100 year old church. So now you come in Pinos, uh, you had that feeling that Pinos has always been there, but he hasn't. And you got that perfect imperfection that makes the place warmer. It certainly does. Tell us about your food. It's. Um... It's a it's a real joy. There's really big flavors, but it's actually really pushing the envelope of um, of Italian cuisine. Yeah, look, I start the first year. I start in the kitchen. Um, I, you know, going back in Sydney back in the day, uh, there were just a few Italian restaurants, and I really appreciate it because I think uh, obviously being in Australia, you need to adapt uh, your dishes to be Australian palate friendly which is for a truly Italian, uh, it doesn't, sometimes it's an experience for sure, but somebody just want to have a plate of pasta. Like every time you go in Italy, people come over and just say, oh my God, the food is amazing there. So I never, I never understand why people need to get a twist or to make an Australian friendly. So we start to deliver it just like simple dishes. At the end of the day, this is the Italian cuisine, simple dishes. That's it. Simple cuisine. There's not so many, you know, stuff on the plate a few ingredients and let's see and uh, so I, I start to say okay we do just traditional food we do just traditional passes and uh, with a modern twist obviously but it's still italian modern twist we do our pasta fresh every morning our bread fresh in the morning after two years i after i've been like chasing him for a lot he's a good friend of mine take over the kitchen so cristiano Padacca. And he's from Tuscany, so we're really close by. And he has the same view of mine. He just like uh, really straight back all the fancy Italian, build a traditional menu and just make a twist, a modern twist. But that's what we're doing, just traditional, straightforward dishes. And if people don't understand, well, it's okay. But this is what we're selling, Italian traditional, no fusion whatsoever. Take us back to, to Rome. What was the food of your youth like? Was it a big influence on you as a chef? Yeah. Look, by trade, I'm an electronic and mechanical engineer. Uh, I always had the passion of cooking, especially from my family. My dad's side, from being from Napoli, you know, my grandma and himself as well, he's always been cooking. I remember every, every Sunday morning, that was a seafood morning. And, you know, being a teenager, I was waking up uh, maybe at 11 or 12 if I had been out. And for breakfast, basically, I was having, you know, bongole spaghetti or like a moscardini with tomato sauce or like lobsters or like, you know, uh, sardines, all those sort of things. So 
cuisine has been like always been in my blood. And um, when I start, when I finished my degree, I wasn't happy. Even if my position was really good back in the day, I was traveling around the world, but was a bit sterile as a role, as a suit. And I start to cook. And a friend of mine asked me to go and help in the kitchen. And I, since then, I never left. And even when I moved in Australia, I never looked back. And uh, I just jumped straight away in hospitality and straight away in the kitchen because this is what this is what what it is. This is my passion, you know. Create a dish, uh, not so not not much now, but deliver a dish, deliver a concept, and see people coming over at your restaurant, sitting down, tasting, and then make that smile. Uh, it's amazing. Or just that face when they open the door, they say, "Wow, that for me is priceless." You know, with other other job I never experienced. You know, so for me, hospitality is like everything. Like most in the industry, you've had a tough year. Can you take us back to the beginning of lockdown? What did you do uh, in order to keep money coming in the door? Yeah, look, my journey started before the lockdown. Uh, as everybody knows, Italy got it really bad before Australia. And um, I was really concerned. Uh, I, I did have a baby daughter on uh, my first baby daughter on 2019, October. So around Feb, uh, things came it got a bit loose in back in Italy and I was really worried and I could start here as well. And then they did. So I decided to shut the restaurant uh, two weeks before they actually the government imposed it because I was concerned for my, for my baby daughter, for my family, for my people here, for my guys, and for my neighbor as well because I'm, looking, I'm the first one to look after them. So don't provide a service. Don't, provide, don't be able to provide a safe environment for my staff and my customers and for myself, uh, I, I decided to shut. And I remember the boys didn't know. I, I show up that Sunday and crying and say, guys, I need to shut. And for me, it was like, you know, this has been my dream. I pulled basically everything I worked for it in the past 10 years in this business. And uh, I didn't know what would happen, but I make the call. So... Most of my people are working only the visa, sponsored student visas. When I decided to close, I said, guys, uh, let's take a, a week uh, annual leave and then let's figure out what's happening. And all of a sudden, it's been two weeks. And then, uh, unfortunately, the government came up with um, um, JobKeeper, JobSeeker, which is, uh, like I said, it wasn't applying to my staff. And, you know, you know what I say to my boys, uh, Pino is my family. The team has been like, he's part, sorry, he's part of my family. It's a really small team. And being, coming from a chef point of view and having those bad experiences back in the day where you were just a number or an orange, you know, just to get squeezed as much as you could, I never wanted to do it to anybody, especially in my business. So I say, guys, I'm going to pay you. Because I don't want to lose you. Because uh, again, they're part of my family. They're part of my team. Unfortunately, I, I lost my manager because uh, he, I couldn't. For, with seven hundred fifty dollars, he had a fiance. He couldn't carry on. But you know, I kept going and pay my student visa guys and my sponsor guys uh, out of my pocket. 
for the first week. So that was week three. And after week four, we decided to go back on uh, takeaway. Takeaway, so I just reinvent the business model to do takeaway because you know, so obviously the food that we deliver is not takeaway friendly. Uh, I came up with like a, a web store as well. So I invest so much of my time uh, to be able to just keep up and pay my guys. Because for me, to be close, I was making a loss. And if I would have been open just to just to take away, I would make a double loss considering my time. But at least I was helping my my guys. And uh, we had an outstanding, outstanding um, help from the neighbors. Then, you know, there were people taking takeaway four times a week. It's unbelievable. And uh, yeah, so that helped us going so much, really much. Um, Business-wise, yes, it's been really, really tough. Personal life, again, my blessing with my baby daughter. For me, the time that I spent with her, I I remember then I was like envisioned to spend that time in the next two or three years. Um, so my wife had to go back to work, obviously. Otherwise, I will not be here to speak with you. Uh, after six months and so I took over and I became a daddy a full-time daddy so yeah I was going around every day to push the pram and spend time with my daughter which has been like priceless and which is yeah. you know a gift and me to be just like put a notch down a couple of notch down you know three years down to slow down appreciate it everything then when you caught up to building a business, running a business, make everybody happy, you go too fast to appreciate actually uh, what you're having at the moment. You know, and since then, since then COVID happened every day. I repeat to myself, I need to be grateful for what I have today because what I have today is what I wanted yesterday. So, yeah, for me, COVID has been a, a blessing. Because I'm always probably I'm naive, I'm too positive, but I like to be positive and see just the best part, you know. Money comes and goes. Um but unfortunately, you know, like people people like Victoria had a tougher and I, f- I feel for them so much. Uh I don't know how they've been dealing with it and to be honest, uh, I feel like uh, sick even thinking about it and powerless as well because i cannot do anything i've been buying some products uh, because i saw that the government you know build some website to sustain those uh, small businesses and everything uh, but yeah that's why i feel even more blessed than everything here in new south wales you chose to put pinots in a an area that was hidden and you could actually miss it if you're walking along the street you wouldn't wouldn't notice it's there it's so hidden but What's it been like trading? The restaurant's open again. How important is the being in a being a local hub of the community as a restaurant during this time? Um, it, it's been my my focus. My main strength is just be part of the community. We always like Pinos. I'm always part of you know raffle or donation for the schools around, and I want to be part of the community because the, if you give to the community, the community give you back, and you know. Um, like I said before, without them, I could never, never done it. And, and I want to be like this. I want to be an, a community. I'm, I'm not doing marketing to, you know, fish people from uh, outside the area. Uh, I like them people from outside Alexandria come over because uh, 
they got a best friend or somebody else then come over and they recommend it. So I like that, that relationship because that it's a relationship. Every single customer, which is friend, they come over here at Pinos, we need to have a connection with them. That's something that I always say to my guys. We need, it's not a restaurant and in and out, we just need to make some money and everything. Money is not my, uh, probably I'm a really bad businessman because some of the restaurant and I know they told me that, uh, but I'm not, I'm not, my quality is high quality. Uh, my, my service is great service uh, and uh, I'm not putting rush to customers except for the Friday, Saturday, and then we, we have to turn the table twice. Otherwise we will never survive. But the margin here at Pinos are really slim because uh, uh, for me, the concept for Pinos is, uh, again, coming from fine dining, well, sometimes it's a kind of a sterile environment to having a, a, a meal. You know, it's a fantastic experience, but you don't have that connection. So my goal when I, and when I as well, people here say, you need to imagine then you going to your best friend's house for dinner. You feel comfortable. You feel uh easy going and then you know then they give you the best food the best service the best wine everything but you feel comfortable you feel at home so that's why people are, i think coming over more than once a week because you know um, we welcome them with like friends coming over for dinner and for me that's what it is and i, I love them i love them so much well it's spring at the moment and we're heading towards summer can you give us an idea of um, the sort of food that's on the menu at the moment, what people might experience at Pinot's. Yeah, absolutely. So the menu at, at the moment we on on a spring menu, which is uh, fantastic. Uh, spring is one of my favorite seasons, to be honest, and autumn. So we got you know a handmade burrata. Even that burrata, our burrata is like handmade with a knot, so it just like goes up on price for sure. With um, with some pen balsamic and vinegar, you know, we push an envelope with a ox tongue that we just low cook it for 10 hours and then we slice really thinly with salsa verde and horseradish. Or we go like for a classic dish, which is tone fagioli. Basically, it's a yellowfin tuna carpaccio with cannellini beans and a shallot dressing. And then we go for the mangoes, you know, mangoes from a tonarelli botarga smoked teal and carpione sauce. Carpione sauce is tibial from Piedmont. Basically, it's a kind of a sweet and sour sauce that is made slow cooking uh, fish as well. Um, then we can have squidding spaghetti with champagne lobster and a bit of tarragon. Or, yeah, 12 hours duck ragu with cime di rave, which is duck ragu. Obviously, everything is handmade here. Cristiano and I, uh, we against any processed food. Everything must be made at Pinos, you know, except the cheese and the charcuterie, which is using the palma, which is outstanding. Six generations of the cheese, then we pick our suppliers from Italy and uh, really boutique and bespoke products. Everything we make in the house, you know. Well, 10 years you've been here. Um, how do you see the next 10 years? for Pinos and yourself? Well, 10 years uh, for Pinos. This year, I had in, in my mind to open a sister for Pino, uh, somewhere else. Different concept, but still uh, 
you know, still classic Italian. Uh, uh, this COVID obviously put the handbrakes, a couple of handbrakes on the on the spanner, but um, no one stopped me. I think I got through everything, sponsorship, PR, all the challenging life. So COVID is not gonna stop me, and if I still uh, carry on to be blessed uh, by my amazing people customers and staff uh, we're gonna get there and uh, obviously i even spoke with my staff every time it's like i want them to be part of uh, everything i do because i want them to grow up i wanted to give them something then nobody ever give it to me you know especially in hospitality because hospitality is a really tough tough industry um, but it's, it's really re rewarding so in the next 10 years, hopefully, I'm going to have a couple a couple extra restaurants. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Well, mate, we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds, and I, I do miss uh, your venue, not just the food, but as you say, it, it does feel like it's been there forever. It is quite a special little venue in the hidden back street of Alexandria. Um, please keep in touch, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you. It's been a massive pleasure. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospital community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>